Well, this morning I've been given the wonderful privilege to proclaim God's word, and I would like to use our time to consider your role as a local church in the ministry of missions. The ministry of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ for the sake of his name. The ministry of local church multiplication. Taking the good news of Jesus to a place where his name has not been rightly proclaimed. In order that through hearing the gospel the Lord's elect might come to know him. As he truly is. As he is revealed in his scriptures. That the Spirit of God might open blinded eyes so people can truly see Him worthy of all glory and praise. And in doing so, in order that idolaters might be converted into worshipers of our Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That these newly converted worshipers of Jesus might be trained and equipped in order that they might grow in the grace and knowledge of Him, and be gathered together in a covenant relationship with other believers as the local churches are established, like this local church, for the sake of the name of Jesus. Jesus, who is both head and chief cornerstone of His church. When I was here with you last, a couple of years ago now, we were in Romans chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 6, and looking at missions through the lens of the great missionary Apostle Paul. And there we discovered the purpose of missions in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1 of Romans, the gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, for the sake of his name among the nations. There we have the mission of missions. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And we find this throughout the Bible. God calling his people to proclaim the good news about him. In order that he might bring his elect to faith for the exaltation of his name. Psalms 96, the 96th Psalm, verses 2 through 4, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day, tell of His glory among the nations, for His, deeds among the, His wonderful deeds among the peoples, for great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, He is to be feared above all gods. Let me just say that for me to have this opportunity to both challenge and encourage us together through the proclamation of Christ's word here this morning brings me great joy. Because, it, because like our church in Mochikawi, Redemption Hill is a church that was planted by countryside, as Pastor J.D. mentioned. And like Pastor J.D., it was countryside where I was called to preach and where my calling as a church planting pastor was recognized and confirmed. And at that time, Countryside, like Redemption Hill, was a young church. It was in the context of that young church with many opportunities to serve that my family grew and was discipled and was equipped to serve the Lord on the mission field. You may yet be a young church here at Redemption Hill, but that is in no way should be a hindrance to you fulfilling your calling to disciple and equip future pastors and missionary pastors. Pastors who will be raised up by the Lord to serve His church, both here and to plant future churches. 
It was from Countryside, as yet a very small church body, that 20 years ago my family and I were sent out to minister among Mayo Indians in Sinaloa, Mexico, for the sake of the name of Jesus, representing Christ our Lord and that local body of believers in the ministry of missions. And even as we continue to proclaim him among the Mayos and others in the ministry of planting local churches and training leaders to shepherd the Lord's church, we do so with full understanding that missions involves more than only those who are sent. Those in the local church called to be senders for God's glory are as equally important in the role of missions as the ones called to be sent out for the sake of his name. So as we consider missions for the sake of his name this morning, we'll be looking at a passage of scripture that was penned by the Apostle John. John walked with Christ during his earthly ministry. He grew in his faith as he grew in his knowledge of the Lord. And John recorded many of those things that he learned from and witnessed in the life of Christ in the gospel which bears his name. The gospel of John chapter 20 Verses 30 and 31 states, speaking of John's writings there in that gospel, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John had the heart of a missionary. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and he desired greatly for others to have a right relationship with him. And then we also have a a letter of one of three letters that the Apostle John wrote later in the New Testament, tucked away in the very back of your Bible just prior to Jude. And, And this letter, short letter as it is, has a great message for us concerning missions for the sake of the name of our Lord. It's a brief letter of recommendation given to a traveling missionary named Demetrius. And John gives us an example there that we'll do well to follow as we follow Christ doing missions for the sake of his name. So let's turn there to the third letter of John. We'll be looking at the verses, the first eight verses of 3 John this morning. 3 John 1 through 8. The elder to the, the, elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to to support such men so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Verse 8 refers to those who serve together in the ministry of the gospel, supporting those who have been called and sent out to proclaim the gospel as fellow workers for the truth. And and that is really a wonderful description of those who co-labor with missionary pastors as senders in the ministry of missions. 
fellow workers for the sake of the truth. In this passage, John commends a man who serves in the important role of those who are being in the, in, in the role of those who are being sent abroad in the ministry of the gospel, and, and then gives instruction for those who serve as senders. Neither role is to be elevated above the other. Both senders and those who are sent are equally necessary if we're going to get the gospel out both locally and around the globe. Before we work through this text in 3 John, uh, hold your place there for a moment and let's turn back to Romans chapter 10. Beginning in verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, we read, but, but, what, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no doubt in scripture that as was declared back in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. When we place our faith and trust in the finished and substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone for the forgiveness of sin, when we quit depending on our own strength and place our dependence in the one who was nailed to the cross in our place, the one who died, was buried, and rose again as proof of of his power over sin and the grave, At that very moment of repentance and faith, we become instantly changed into new creations in Christ. That is the teaching of God's Word. Do you believe that? I know that for most of us this morning, we not only believe that because it is what the Bible declares, but also because we have personally experienced that life-changing power of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. And that being the case, we have been called to proclaim that message of hope to those who need to hear. And what about those who need to hear that are living in distant lands? How are they going to hear that message? The Apostle Paul begs that very question in what we just read, and then he provides the answer in the verses that follow. So picking up where we left off in Romans 10... Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they hear? How then, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as has been written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How shall they hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ from us who are saved? We must send forth laborers into the harvest. And I'm excited that this church has risen to that call. Believers in Jesus Christ are being equipped to share the gospel everywhere they go. 
here in Lawrence, in the surrounding communities, in the places that you work, in the places that you study, in the places where you live. And some are and will be even called to areas beyond the normal sphere of influence of this local body. So this body may have the opportunity to obey the Lord's commands in sending those whom God has called to take the gospel into other lands. So it's an honor to be one who is sent, representing Christ, and and a wonderful church body that serves with us in serving the Lord as senders. And it's a great privilege to be one who has been both supported prayerfully and sacrificially by a local church family such as Countryside, and now also to have this body of believers praying for us as well. It's such an encouragement to me each time I get an email from one of the men here in this church asking me for some updated prayer requests, knowing that Redemption Hill is going to take time to pray for us, even as a part of their, the, the act of worship on Sunday morning, because we are loved by this church body. So I want to thank you for your prayers for our family and for the ministries the Lord has us involved in. You know, if we were to read on in that passage there in Romans, we would find that not all are going to receive that message. But we must proclaim it to them nevertheless. The role of senders who support those who are sent is a vitally important one. Think about it. It, Without senders, no one would be sent. And if no one is sent, no one will hear and no one will believe. You know, often we hear about Here it said that for for those who go, those who go make great sacrifices. And, And there's certain truth in that. But I think the Lord, for those who send and make those great sacrifices to see the gospel proclaimed in areas where they have not been called to go and proclaim the gospel themselves. That's why I'm excited about this letter that we're going to investigate this morning from the Apostle John. So turning back to our text in 3 John, we find that John also praised the Lord for one who supported those in the work of the Lord. Those who, those who supported the communicators of truth. I refer to them as communicators of truth because that's the emphasis that we see in this letter from John, emphasizing the truth that is being proclaimed. The apostle is writing with a shepherd's heart to convey both, convey both encouragement and wise counsel to those now serving in the Lord's church. And we know very little about this man, Gaius, the recipient of this letter. But, but in, in this letter, we do get a glimpse of his character and of his servant's heart. The first thing I want us to notice from this letter is found in verses 1 through 4. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, or whom I love in the sphere of the truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, or or came repeatedly testifying to your truth. That is, how you are walking continually in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. If we are going to both heed the instructions and follow the example given to us by the Apostle John, here in verses 1 through 4, we find that as communicators of the truth, we must intercede for those who support the message. 
As communicators of the truth, we must intercede for those who support the message. Well, well, we are not told a great deal about Gaius. We do find that John sees him as a man who truly supported the message of the truth. God's revealed word, the gospel, the message concerning Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, and as we will see more fully in in these verses that follow, Gaius was certainly a man to be considered as a fellow worker for the truth. When it came to the way he involved himself in the ministry of taking care of those missionaries whom were called to communicate the truth of the gospel. During the time when Gaius lived, there were missionaries being sent out to preach the word. And John, as a church leader, and as a communicator of the truth himself, had contact with many of these missionaries, as, as I've referred to them as communicators of the truth, as they would return to see him and to return to their local churches after their missionary journeys. In those days, travel was quite different. Most people walked, thus limiting the amount of provisions that they might take with them when they were sent out. So men such as Gaius, by recommendation of men such as John, would receive those whom were sent his way into his home, and he would provide for them hospitality. He, as we'll see in the text, would would be used of the Lord also to replenish their provisions for their continued travel in the ministry of the gospel. And John, as a communicator of the truth, interceded for those such as Gaius, who supported the message of the truth. As communicators of the truth, we must intercede for those who support the message. We often hear of the absolute importance of praying for those who serve as missionaries. And I am very thankful for all of you who pray for me and my family and the ministries that we have been involved in there in Sinaloa and throughout other parts of Mexico. But as a communicator of the truth, being prayed for by this body, I want you to know that I am also committed to interceding for you, interceding on your behalf. And not only I, but the body that I pastor, the group of believers there in the church, the local church in Mochikawi, prays for Redemption Hill. Of course, they know your church family as Iglesia Monte de Redención. But isn't it great we have a God who understands all these different languages? And as they pray for your church, they have the privilege, as I have the privilege, of being a part of your lives and the ministries that you are involved in. Those that you are involved in here as you also serve as those who, through your prayers, are supporters of those that live and serve in other places. But the application of this message is broader than just a missionary praying for fellow workers of the truth. Those who are praying for the word to go forth and become planted in the hearts and people's hearts in other locations. The example given in John's ministry should be applied by each of us. As we have all been called in one way or another to be communicators of the truth. We have all been commissioned to do so by our Lord in Matthew 28. As pastors, as Sunday school teachers, and as parents of those entrusted into your care to disciple, we all have been called to be involved in the ministry of communicating the truth. You may understand already the importance of continually praying for those involved in the ministry of the word. But have you ever considered how important it is that you be praying for those 
who have been called to sacrifice and support the ministries here at Redemption Hill and through Redemption Hill in other places? Do you pray for those who support the ministries of the word? Do you pray that the Lord would continue to bless them, even financially, those who take seriously their calling to sacrificially provide for the ministries of the word through this local body of believers? Pray for them to be continually encouraged by the fruit of their sacrificial labors, both here in the local church and in other places through those who will be sent out from the local church, serving under the authority of and as representatives of this local church in other places. As communicators of the truth, we must intercede for those who support the message. Let's keep it very practical. If we're going to follow the example here of the Apostle John, there's some questions that we may want to ask. And John gives us the answers to at least three questions we might ask here in the first paragraph of our text this morning. You might be thinking, okay, okay, Pastor Brian, I'll pray, but what do I pray? And the first question deals with that answer. It deals with the content of his prayers. We find the answer in verse 2 as it is recorded in the record of John's prayer. In the record of John's prayer, we find two things that we can pray for if we are to follow John's example in praying for those who support the message. First of all, pray for the Lord's leading in their paths. Third John chapter two, or third John verse two, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. The the phrase, in all respects, you may prosper, or that all may go well with you, as it is in some translations. It comes from an idiom, to be led along a good road. It reminds us of what the Proverbs proclaim to us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Literally, He will make your paths straight. This is a prayer for direction. This is a prayer for the Lord's leading in their paths. Pray that the Lord would make their paths straight, to go before them, to smooth out the rough places, to give them success in their endeavors for Christ. And while prosper here does not necessarily refer specifically to financial prosperity, as usually comes to mind when we hear the word prosper, and prosperity. That's the message that the false health and wealth gospel teachers teach today, and they might use that verse in that way. But, But as we think about praying that they would prosper in all respects or prosper in all things, that the Lord would go before them and insist, assist them in all of their endeavors for the for the sake of exalting Christ, certainly might include the Lord granting them wisdom that they might make prudent decisions in their endeavors in order that as they have already demonstrated themselves as faithful investors in the Lord's work, they might continue to have such means in order to remain sacrificially involved in supporting the proclamation of the message of the gospel. So we need to pray for the Lord's leading in their paths. But another thing we should pray for is pray for the Lord's lifting to prosperity. Beloved, I pray in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And note that he prays both for physical and spiritual prosperity. 
It only makes sense that if this man was going to support the message of the gospel through his hospitality, to pray for him to be sufficiently healthy and to have both the spiritual and material well-being to provide such support. Frankly, here in the United States, I'm not so sure that it's as common for believers to think that much about prayers for health until sickness strikes their lives or the lives of those that they love. And even then, it's when there's a really big illness that touches the lives of someone that many begin to become motivated to pray for health. There's no real indication here that Gaius was having any health problems, as some have suggested. At least nothing serious enough that hindered him from continually opening up his home and to provide for traveling preachers of the gospel, to continue having John recommend that he open up his home and receive such proclaimers of the gospel. And I mention that because where I live, it is very, very common to hear believers taking the time to publicly thank the Lord for their health, among other things. Continually we hear people, when they give praise to God, starting out by praising God that they have good health. And when you think about it, unlike those traveling about in the Middle East when John wrote this letter, and those who live in third world countries like mine, most people here have grown accustomed to modern medicine and medical practices where for the most part things tend to get fixed. Few people here will die of unster- because of unsterile operating rooms or medical practices that are based more in old traditions than in science. Unlike traveling preachers in John's day and missionaries serving in countries like mine, few preachers or those providing them hospitality here will battle with parasites or intestinal infections on a regular basis while continuing to serve the Lord through serving others. And I think that it's, it's impressive that John prayed that his health would prosper even as his soul prospered. This says something about this brother's spiritual condition. His spiritual prosperity must have far exceeded his physical well-being. Too often, it is the reverse that is true. How many believers here would want somebody praying that your physical health would change to match your current spiritual well-being? I'm afraid that for many Christians, that would be a frightening thought to consider. Well, that answers the question, what do I pray, as recorded in the record of John's prayer? The next question, why do I pray like this? Why do I pray? Then we find the answer in verse 3, the reason for, God, for John's prayer. And this deals with the motivation. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. John was excited about going to the Lord in his prayers because he was seeing answers to his prayers. The the structure of this particular verse, it wasn't that just one time people came, but he continued to hear as people continued to come and testified concerning the way his prayers were being answered in the life of Gaius. The testimony of Gaius' life was affecting the lives of others. And we're shown two things here about Gaius that should be demonstrated in our own testimonies as well as we seek to follow Christ and serve him for its glory. First, we see from his example that we should possess godly wisdom. 
He says here that the truth, it talks about the truth being inside. He says your truth, or in some translations, the truth in you. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, or the truth that was in you. You see, for one to be faithful to the truth, it requires the person, first of all, to know the truth. Simply put, we cannot put into practice what we do not know. Truth must first affect how we believe before it can affect how we behave. We cannot practice externally what we do not possess internally. We should possess godly wisdom. The truth must be inside. But just as we must first know the truth, we must also apply the truth. We should practice a godly walk. We should possess godly wisdom. The truth must be inside. And we should practice a godly walk. The truth also must be outside. For I was very glad, he says, when brethren came came and testified to your truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. or, Or just as you walk in the truth. His walk matched his talk. He applied what he learned. He was not merely receiving the truth, but that truth was worked out in the way that he lived his life before the Lord. Paul had essentially prayed this for the church in Colossae. We see in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, for this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and let me tell you something if if you want to see communicators of the truth really get excited and be motivated as they pray for your soul, just start practicing the truth that they have communicated to your soul. When you hear Pastor J.D. preach one of those excellent messages that you've grown accustomed to hearing Sunday after Sunday, you can go up to him and say, hey, brother, that was a a great message. Praise God. But then you're still faced with a choice, whether or not you're going to put that message into practice In your life. If you really want to see Pastor JD and the other teachers here encouraged, just put into practice the truth that you hear from this pulpit. We should practice a godly walk. The truth must be evidenced on the outside in the way that we live. Now that leads us to the final question concerning John's prayer. What might happen if we were to pray like this? This speaks to the benefit of praying like this. Here we see the result of John's prayer in verse 4. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. You teachers, Stephen, Scott, Michael, others who may teach Sunday school on a Sunday morning here at this church. Isn't that what excites you as teachers about your teaching ministry? Isn't it great when you see someone begin to really grow in the knowledge of the word and then start applying it in the situations of day-to-day life? Isn't it exciting to see someone you led to the Lord grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord? 
to see spiritual babes get up on their wobbly feet and with some help begin to apply the word of truth and then to walk firmly in obedience to God's word? And what about you, parents? Do you know the joy of watching your children walk in the truth? John experienced great joy in hearing that those who had come to Christ under his ministry and those that in some way or another he had discipled or trained now growing in their spiritual walk and practicing the truths that they had learned. I've had that joy with my own children and with those that have come to faith in the Lord under the ministries that God has given to me. And there are also young pastors in our area and other places that I communicate with on a regular basis. Some that are under my direct training and others that in some way I'm informally discipling. And and it's exciting to hear as they, they grow in their capacities for service. It's a joy for me to hear of them demonstrating wisdom in their leadership capabilities and growing in their theological precision, their passion for preaching, and their compassion for those that they've been called to serve. It is truly a joy to see our children and our spiritual children walking with the Lord. However, for this to happen, it does require a great deal of effort on our part. We must properly model and instruct and especially pray for those under our care. So in verses 1 through 4, we saw that as communicators of the truth, we must intercede for those who support the message. Now in verses 5 through 8, we will see that as co-laborers for the truth, we must be involved with those who serve as missionaries. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out For the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. As co-laborers for the truth, we must be involved with those who serve as missionaries. And just as we discussed concerning communicators of the truth in the first point, there, there are many that are messengers for the truth, in the broader application, and that broader application can apply here as well. But I would like to hone in on the specific model that is before us in our text. That is, of one being commended for his generosity and hospitality to the missionaries that he was involved with. Now, some of you may be thinking, Pastor Brian, isn't that point just a bit self-serving? I mean, you coming here as a missionary, telling us that we should be involved with those who serve as missionaries? Well, first of all, I don't believe that it is. Because we and other missionaries know that serving as missionaries is a call of God. The mission field that we have been called to is not really even our ministry. It is Christ's ministry. It is Christ's ministry through the local church. So in that sense, as you send out missionaries, it will be Christ's ministry through you, and therefore it will be the ministry that the Lord has called each and every one of you to as well. As co-laborers for the truth, you must be involved with those who serve as missionaries because it is your calling in Christ corporately as a body. Once again, the ministry of the one being sent 
is no greater, no more important than the ministry of the ones who send and support that ministry. Preaching this text is a joy for me, like John. I have a group of fellow workers for the truth serving with me that I too can commend and praise the Lord for because because of their wonderful generosity and dedication to the Lord that is evidenced through their prayerful and sacrificial participation with those who have been sent and will be sent to serve as missionaries. John also gives some instruction with his commendation in these verses. We see that the manner of our involvement is to be worthy of the Lord, verses 5 through 6. He says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. Our service is to be trustworthy. Acting faithfully. God expected hospitality from Gaius, as that was already his faithful practice. Faithfully meaning in a dependable manner. It was revealing the character of Gaius as a good and faithful man. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, or even though they are strangers to you. That The type of hospitality and care spoken of in this passage is not merely having some friends over to your house and being hospitable. This is opening up your home and your heart to be used of the Lord for those who serve Him. We are, not merely, we, are, we are merely stewards over the resources that God places into our hands. And that includes the places where we live. It's not always convenient. But that shouldn't cause us to rob ourselves of the blessing of serving the Lord in this way. You know, my wife and I have had the privilege of staying in the homes of many different people at our times that we've been back in Kansas. And we've had the privilege of having many folks from Kansas come down and stay in our home as well. Prayerfully, some of you one day will come down and let us show hospitality to you in our home as you come down to see how the Lord is answering your prayers in Sinaloa, Mexico. And over the years, Danielle and I have even slept on a lot of floors in Mexico. Some dirt, some concrete, but all given to us with the blessing of wonderful fellowship by people who would sacrifice everything they have to be a part of that blessing of serving as fellow workers for the truth. Now, we should note that Gaius may not have personally known many of those traveling preachers, but he did know of them. He knew of them through the testimony of men like John who sent them with these letters of recommendation. You see, John even had addressed his concerns in a prior letter that he wrote, Second John, his concerns for those that might lack discernment and therefore provide hospitality and support to false teachers. Not every opportunity presented to give demands a sacrifice. In fact, some who ask for our support should not receive it because they do not truly communicate the truth. So the manner of our involvement is to be worthy of the Lord, verses 5 and 6. Our service is to be trustworthy, and our love is to be noteworthy. Verse 6, he says, And they have testified to your love before the church. 
When these men came back to report to the church concerning their missionary journeys, they couldn't help but bear witness to the way that the Lord had provided for them through the love of this one who faithfully and lovingly provided for their needs. This wasn't the kind of missionary support from someone who was just giving out of obligation or someone who was feeling satisfied because he had dropped his check in the offering plate. This was the love that was demonstrated by first giving of oneself. The manner of his involvement was worthy of the Lord. His love was noteworthy. This was the loving concern for these missionaries demonstrated in such an overwhelming way that it left an impression on them that they just had to tell others about. And frankly, this is the kind of love that we have been demonstrated so often that my wife and I feel that we are just spoiled by God's blessings through his people. Well, not only should our manner of involvement be with missionaries be trustworthy and noteworthy, but also praiseworthy. The last part of verse 6 says, You do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Our support is to be praiseworthy. You do well to send them on their way was really just a polite way of asking Gaius if he would please continue to support. And it was a request that he would continue to support, which also contained a confidence that he would, because that was the kind of man that he had demonstrated himself to be. Send them on a way in a manner worthy of God, he says. Think of 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this phrase, send them on their way, send them forward. It contained the idea of supplying them with whatever was needed for their continued missionary journey. Beyond mere hospitality, this servant of the Lord, this, this servant of our Lord sent these missionaries on with the provisions that they needed in order to proclaim the gospel in a way that reflects the glory of God, the very God they went out to proclaim. And that's not just some missionary spin on this passage as I stand before you this morning. But rather, that is the pattern that we can see throughout Scripture. We see this idea expressed by the Apostle Paul in his letters. For instance, Romans 15, 24. When I, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, as I have first enjoyed your company for a while. 1 Corinthians 16, 6, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. 2 Corinthians 1, 16, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Or Titus 3, 13, he tells them diligently help Zenith, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that Nothing is lacking for them. See, serving as a missionary pastor with Countryside over these past 20 years has been a true joy, and we have been exceptionally blessed. Their prayers, provision, participation with us, all accompanied by their love and affection for us and our family and those we've been called to serve, has wonderfully reflected the character of Christ. And for that, we are very thankful. And here... We have been blessed with unique relationship because of this church's relationship with us through Countryside, but now also through the opportunity to pray for one another 
and prayerfully the opportunity that we'll receive to, to serve together at some point in the future. If the Lord answers our prayers, then we have the opportunity to host some of you in our home one day in Mochikawi. And now as we pray with you, as you consider the opportunity to one day send out missionaries who have been called as a part of this local church, men of God who are being called of the Lord to serve him as missionary pastors, let me challenge you. As co-laborers for the truth, you must be involved with those who serve and will serve as your missionaries. And that manner of your involvement must remain worthy of the Lord. Many of you have been prayerfully and sacrificially involved in the ministries of Redemption Hill since the very beginning. Others of you, the Lord has brought into this church family at various points along the way. And as I look out to this church family, I am reminded of the early days of Countryside when when we as a church sent out Roger Johansson, our first missionary pastor, to be sent out from our young, small congregation. And so as we consider this text and and the involvement in missions that the Lord would have every local church have in obedience to the Lord's Great Commission, if you would, just permit me a little trek down my own memory lane and share with you some of what we experienced as a young church, as as a way to encourage you concerning what the Lord can do here as well. Like here at Redemption Hill... The families at Countryside sacrificially became involved, some of them from the very beginning. And, like here at Redemption Hill, there were those that the Lord brought into the body or matured up within the body at various points along the way that became sacrificially involved in the ministries of that church. And like here at Redemption Hill, we don't know in particular who gives to the ministries of Countryside to support its ministries, including the ministries of missions. But there are assuredly some who God has blessed in such a way at various stages of life with resources to richly invest in the local church and for the multiplication of the local church. And and some are responding to his leading, while others probably have not yet considered the blessings of such an internal investment. I recently uh, challenged the members of our church family to consider what each of their individual roles might be in helping countryside's future missionaries get to their respective fields of service when the time comes and each of their callings are and readinesses to serve are, are confirmed by the body. And, and in light of the biblical passage that we are considering from 3 John this morning, and the fact that you all have at least one man here preparing to serve the Lord as a missionary pastor, and will surely have others in the future called both to serve as as pastors here in the local church and as missionary pastors, I would like to challenge you all as well. And, And especially I'd like to challenge the younger generation here. You with young families, and those of you who are maybe still single, now receiving the opportunities privileges and responsibilities that come with being a young adult. The tendency for many is to think that they don't, they don't have much to offer yet. So they leave the heavy lifting to the older generation, the ones who already have become accustomed to sacrificial involvement in the ministries of the local church, both locally and abroad. 
You know, when we sent Pastor Roger and Crystal out to Brazil, Countryside was a very small church made up of predominantly very young families, most of whom were still heavily investing in buying diapers and a few figuring out how to send their kids to college. You know, back then as, a, as church leadership, I remember being in deacons meetings where we were praying for the Lord to send us some folks with gray hair. And he answered that question, that prayer eventually, and also made some of us gray. But we didn't have much. We were a young church with mostly young families. And most of us, in fact, had very little. But we believed that God could use the sacrifices of our small church in sending out missionaries for the sake of his name. For a time, when we first sent Pastor Roger and Crystal to Brazil, there was approximately one-third of Countryside's budget was being spent in the area of missions. And many thought we were crazy. We actually heard that from people. They said, you don't even have a church building yet. This is crazy. And you know, even when my wife and I and our family was sent to Mexico some years later, we still didn't have a church building. And people still thought we were crazy. But having its own church building as a requirement before a church can obey the Lord's great commission is not a pattern that we find in Scripture. As we made Christ's last commandment our first commitment, we experienced the joy of the Lord blessing our church and its families in ways that were beyond what we could have imagined. Our yet mostly younger families at that time experienced the blessing of giving up sacrificially whatever it took to serve as co-laborers for the truth in a manner worthy of God. Redemption Hill is yet a very young church, and many of you as its members are younger adults with younger families. So, so I want to challenge you, even those of you here in this young church, even those of you who may still have Young families, consider what your role will be. Consider what the Lord would have you to do to be faithful in whatever it is that Redemption Hill will accomplish through missions in a manner worthy of God. There will be a need for God to raise up those who will accept the call to be senders, fellow workers for the truth, as well as those who will accept the call to be sent. I know that even now you have Michael serving with you, a young man who has sensed the call to serve our Lord as a church planning pastor. And as you are faithful, God will very likely raise up others and entrust you with other missionaries to be sent as he also raises up additional pastors to lead this growing church body of senders. You may not be called to move your family to a Muslim country like Turkey, but your children can grow up reaping the spiritual fruit in that nation as you lead your family in prayerful and sacrificial participation with Michael for the sake of the gospel. And no investment in season tickets, bigger houses, newer cars, or the latest gadgets will leave as lasting of an impact on the lives of your children for God's glory. Now that leads us to the second part of our calling to be involved with those who serve as missionaries. The second thing we see here is that the motivation for involvement is to be the worship of the Lord, verses 7 through 8. The motivation for our involvement is to be the worship 
of the Lord. In all things we are to exalt the name of Jesus. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Verse 7 states that those who went out did so for the sake of the name. Our supreme goal is to bring glory to God and exalt the name of our Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. His name here means much more than just, just to say his personal name, Jesus. It is used here in the way that it was used in the Old Testament. His name represents all that God is. The name of God is God's revelation concerning himself. It is the sum total of his attributes. It is his reputation. We won't take time to go there this morning, but you can look in Isaiah 48, verses 9-11. to You'll find that for the sake of God's name is equated with his praise and his glory. His name is a name above all names. And as missionaries, we go forth to proclaim His magnificent name to the nations, to make Him known as He is revealed in Holy Scripture. Evangelizing the lost is not the ultimate purpose of missions. But rather, it is a means to the end, which is to bring the Lord glory. Think about it. All without Christ are condemned to hell. And that should grip our hearts. But what does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. Men need to come to know Christ as their Savior ultimately so that they may bring Christ glory. You see, missions exist so that idolaters can be converted into worshipers of Jesus Christ. This is true here in Lawrence and in every single place around the globe. Worship is both the motivation and the mission of missions. We take forth the gospel to a lost and dying world so that they might believe and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and reflect His glory. The motivation for involvement in missions is to be the worship of the Lord. And as our Lord raises up those whom He has called to communicate His truth, and as they go out for the sake of His name, Verse 8 tells us, we therefore ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. As, we, as co-laborers for Christ, senders, and those being sent, let us team together as fellow workers in order that the truth of Christ might continue to be proclaimed for the sake of his name. Converting those for whom Christ died into worshipers of Jesus Christ our Lord Father we thank you for your word and for the way that you continue to glorify yourself through local bodies of believers such as those gathered together here in this covenant relationship at Redemption Hill we thank you for the way that you are continuing to answer our prayers and grow this body we thank you for the way that you are continuing to use Pastor J.D. and other men who are being raised up as teachers, as communicators of the truth. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to use your word to grow them and to, through them, grow this body of believers to mature in Christ and to reflect more brightly your glory 
and that in that process others would see you in them and desire to come alongside of them and to hear that truth and to come into a right relationship with you and to come into a right relationship with their fellow believers in order that together they may continue to proclaim the gospel here in Lawrence and in the surrounding communities in the places that they work and as they study and as they live out their lives among their neighbors and families and friends. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up from within this body future pastors who will come alongside Pastor J.D. in the future and serve as fellow elders in this body and continuing to train up those that will need to be equipped for the ministries within this community and around the globe. And we pray, Lord, that you would also raise up from within this body those that are serving here, those that are becoming better equipped here, those that will have their callings confirmed here. Pray that, Lord, that you'd raise up others who will take faithfully take the truth of your word to places far beyond the sphere of influence of this local body of believers here in this place and that they will experience the joy of sacrificially and prayerfully participating together with fellow workers for the truth and that you would continue to bless your name around the globe, raising up bodies of believers who will continue to repeat that same cycle, and that the multiplication of local churches will be a means to an end, that more people, more of your elect throughout the nations will come to know you as their Savior and Lord, and therefore reflect your glory that you would receive more praise and more glory because of the work you are doing in the hearts of men and women and children in different languages and cultures, converting them from idolatry to the worship of Jesus. We ask this that you might be exalted in the name of Jesus.